Good evening. My name is Shalina Ismail. I'm a partner with PFM Executive Search. I am a proud UBC alumni. And I also serve on, as a member of the Alumni UBC Board, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. I want to begin by acknowledging that we are gathered today on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. On behalf of Alumni UBC, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to everyone in attendance tonight. We appreciate you being here to participate in this evening's conversation as we launch a year-long leadership series presented by your Alumni Association, Alumni UBC. As most of you know, but some of you might not, that Alumni UBC provides career, career education for every stage of your professional life. Our innovative collection of programs and resources connect you to a vast network of your fellow alumni and graduates and empower you to design a meaningful and fulfilling work life aligned with your education, strengths, and values. To learn more about the Career Development Program, please visit alumni.ubc.ca. As part of our Career Development Program, and in response to feedback from alumni like you, tonight is the launch of a year of programming centered around the theme of leadership. Our hope with this series is that we can support alumni in their ongoing development as leaders to help increase their professional opportunities that are available to them and to foster ongoing su success in the advancement of their careers. Furthermore, this evening, we hope that you will learn from your fellow alumni and feel feeling inspired to try something new. To kick off the series tonight, you will hear from four influential leaders who also happen to be UBC alumni. I'm excited to hear their stories on behalf of UBC, and I want to welcome and thank them for their time and talent tonight. Programming in the series will be open to alumni and the broader community, both locally and worldwide. One of the ways that we're able to make this programming available globally is through our media library. Our panelists have kindly allowed us to audio and video record the discussion this evening. And the audio recording of tonight's event will be available in our media library at alumni.ubc.ca. We hope that you'll continue the conversation and continue to participate and engage with this topic over the coming year. We'd also like to thank our career program sponsor and alumni UBC affinity partner Manulife for their generous support. Tonight's Alumnites is also supported by BMO Alumni UBC MasterCard and TD Insurance. Please take it some time to see the Alumni UBC website for details on all the benefits and the services available for you as alumni. Before I introduce our moderator for this evening and we start the formal programming, I'd like to share with you some of my own insights on leadership from my experience in the area of executive search. I'm just going to kick this off with a few of my thoughts. When I heard that leadership was one of the most popular topics, I wasn't surprised. It's such a critical part of every organization, and in my work, I work with boards and CEOs to help them find leaders. And it's the most common piece of information we share with each of our boards and CEOs. Whether it's in the private sector or public sector or across any of the industries, we're finding that leadership competencies are evolving. Today, I wanted to leave you with four key trends that we're seeing on the side of executive recruitment. 
The first one is around people. Leaders today need to focus on their people and build relationships. They need to engage people. And with so much change going on in today's organizations, they also need to develop leaders within their organizations. Leaders also need to connect with people. The second element that we hear from boards and CEOs all the time is that it's around values. Ensuring that people are feeling connected to their organization. It's about leading with purpose and meaning. Employees today want an organization that has the purpose and they want to feel that they're connected. The third thought is around perspective and resilience. And I know today's discussion, you will hear some thoughts from leaders around that topic. Knowing how to deal with change, with transformation, with crisis, and how to come, on the other, how to come out on the other side a stronger organization with more positive outlook. And the last one is about inspiration, communicating your, vi your vision in a way that people will follow. I think in the past, we used to talk about natural leaders. Although I do believe people have natural leadership tendencies, we now know that people can learn to be good leaders. I recently read a report, it was research done by McKinsey, that's shown that people can develop leadership skills by nurturing their physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual well-being. This in turn drives personal achievement and self-confidence and it inspires others to follow. I think the last point I want to leave you with before I leave is that leadership is not just limited to our work. We can show our leadership in the community, in our sports, in our arts, in our social circles, in so many different ways, and these leadership skills are transferable. It's now my pleasure to introduce our moderator for the evening, and you'll get a chance to meet our four panelists. UBC alumni Robin Gill is the BC correspondent and weekend anchor for Global National. With over 25 years of experience in journalism, she has reported on several headlining stories, including the recent federal election in October, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and the Stanley Cup riots. She's a longtime volunteer in the community. She currently serves on the board of the Kidney Foundation. And we are absolutely thrilled to have her here moderating this evening. Please join me in welcoming Robin Gill to the stage. Thank you so much for that very kind introduction. It was um, my pleasure absolutely when um, my uh, colleague, Fred Lee, asked me to do this event to moderate. I said, absolutely, I'm an alumni and I want to give back to my, my, my university that got me through four years and got me through uh, journalism and got me to this point. Um, I want to introduce you to the four panelists, first of all, and I'm just going to grab my notes here. I'm getting old, so I need my glasses now. Um, First of all, we want to introduce you to entrepreneur and engineer Zach Eberwim, who has founded Stoco in 2017 with two of his best friends. They're here in the audience, and they're, he didn't force them to come. That's what he tells me. <laughs> Stoco builds products that fit, feel, and function like the human body, starting with joint support products that people never have to see, feel, or think about. He's a generalist with a wide range of interests within entrepreneurship, technology, and business. Zach is an expert in challenging the status quo and strives to create positive change in the world while inspiring others to do the same. Carmen Lee is an associate director and the Global Workday Alliance marketing lead at Deloitte. Now this is a Slow down. Am I talking too fast? Okay. It's a global management consulting firm. <laughs> 
currently based in San Jose, California. Trust me, I get this at work all the time. Slow down. Um, she's obviously from Vancouver, but she's been spending the last three years in the Silicon Valley. Over a 15-year span, she has focused on alliance and partnership marketing for global organizations across several sectors, mining, oil and gas, technology, and not-for-profit, and that is just to name a few. Carmen is also a previous alumni UBC board member. Great to hear. Now let's talk about Ryan Spahn. He used to be an investment banker. He is now a successful restaurateur at Taco Fino and Super Baba Brands in Vancouver. And he's now the CEO and founder of Foodie, a Vancouver-based food tech startup. And food is actually pretty relevant these days. We talk a lot about it in the news. Over the years, Ryan has helped raise tens of millions of dollars for public companies and started, grown, and sold several innovative businesses. He is committed to building local food, tech, and entrepreneurship communities here in his hometown of Vancouver. Marsha Walden is the president and CEO of Destination British Columbia. Her career spans corporate leadership roles in marketing, strategy, transformation, operations, communications, and social responsibility. You've got a lot on your plate. She is also an active volunteer serving as 2018 campaign cabinet chair for United Way, promoting employment accessibility as a member of the President's Group and recently joining the YMCA Board of Directors. She has also served previously as an alumni UBC board member. So please welcome all of our panelists. And keep in mind that I'm keeping track of your questions, so if you have any, Slido is where it's at, and we'll, um, we get to vote on them, and so we, the best question rises to the top. So think about that. <laughs> so let's get started. I'm going to start with you, Zach. You are a recent grad, you're a co-founder, you're now a CEO. Let's talk about how you went from student to where you are now. What do you think you learned as a leader? <clears throat> yeah, so uh, uh, it's, it's awesome to have the opportunity to come and be a part of events like this, and it's fairly unexpected for someone of uh, my age, and we'll just address the elephant in the room. <laughs> um, but uh, first, first and foremost, I think you know, the one thing that I've learned has really been to, uh, to broaden your perspective as far as possible and surround yourself with people. Um, I really loved what was said at the beginning, that uh, it's, it's all about values. It's all about aligning yourself with people who, have, who share the same values, and then really being open and vulnerable with yourself to how quickly you can grow. Um, and really taking the opportunities that present themselves uh, and challenging yourself, absolutely. Carmen, you're in a whole different corporation structure. You're in a multinational corporation with a lot of employees. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about the importance of inclusive leadership where you're at? Sure. Um, it's something that is currently introduced with our management group as well as some of our clients. Um, so the importance of using or building a team of different uh, people, different members from different groups, uh, diverse backgrounds and experiences to help enrich that experience and create um, towards greater good. So that's really what inclusive leadership means to us. Okay, Ryan, you've, you've kind of been all over the map, investment banker, food startups, yeah. and you decided to take leadership coaching. What was that like and how has that evolved your leadership style? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd say I decided to. I think I was. I it was required. I I needed it. I, I you know, for for those of us that have, uh, you know, 
led teams, uh, it can become apparent when you need help, uh, when you need coaching. And uh, so, you know, we we're t talking a little bit about this and I think like so many, you know, relationships, friendships, what you have, you, you know, uh, I've had several coaches over the, over the years and I think it's true what they say that you, you, you have them for a reason, for a season, for life, you know, that old, that old saying. Um, sometimes you're dealing with something specific that you need help with. Um, sometimes, you know, there's a period in your, in your career or, or, you know, at a, at a specific company or something like that. And then other times, you know, those relationships just turn into kind of lifelong and almost, you know, mutual kind of relationships, uh, I think. Um, you know, certainly when I started, uh, my first coach was like, whoa, like, let's start at the very beginning, you know, um, you know, which, which I think on the leadership sort of path, at least in, in my instance, was kind of know thyself, you know, like no one's going to follow your lead if you don't kind of understand yourself, understand your, um, yeah, just your, your personality, your emotions, all these kind of things. Um, and that's kind of step one. So we really like did that whole kind of like breaking down your personality and you know, figuring out what your blind spots are and all these kind of things, your strengths and weaknesses. So, um, and then it's gotten kind of gone from there. Okay. Marsha, you are obviously at the C-suite leadership level. What kind of obstacles did you face, or, or not actually what you face, what do you think are the obstacles others face when they're trying to get to a place where you're at? Like what's getting in their way? Hmm. I think every individual has their own challenges, uh, certainly, um, and there's probably no one on this stage that hasn't had a few of their own. Uh, I, I think really it's just knowing how to move beyond that. Um, you know, everyone faces failures and, and things that don't go quite as planned in your career. You just have to learn how to reset your goals, um, have a positive attitude, uh, and not dwell on, on that. Um, for me, certainly as a leader, uh, you know, I've gone through a number of different types of organizations, faced different challenges, been in organizations where we were all on the same page and it was all wonderful, and then come into a new one and had to face completely different challenges, was really trying to change the culture and made terrible mistakes along the way and learned an enormous amount uh, from that. So, um, you know, I think you just have to keep keep moving on, you know, just you can't get stuck when, when something's in your way. That leads me to my next question. I think <clears throat> often we have periods where we have self-doubt. Mm. Uh, all of us have in leadership roles, whatever role you've had. How do you overcome that and just become a stronger leader and become more resilient? Carmen, I'll ask you to I start that. You know, I think this is something I would um, I relate to Ryan on is uh, one of the most recent times I faced difficulties in, you know, obstacles in my career. I turned to a career coach um, who really talked me through, um, you know, being mindful and having those goals set so that I can rejig my attitude towards life and, and career so that I can better help myself as well as better help others. Zach? You want to pick up from this theme? Yeah, um, imposter syndrome is, is a huge thing. And uh, it's something, you know, we addressed the elephant in the room when we started. Um, but uh, funny enough, my coach is actually here tonight. Um, so she surprised me by, by showing up. 
Um, but uh, I, I absolutely agree wholeheartedly that you know, uh, in order to be able to take your performance to the next level, um, you really have to, like I said before, you really have to be, be comfortable um, being vulnerable um, and, uh, and being okay accepting the times that you do fail. Um, rallying around that with those who, who um, you have surrounded yourself with and that you're on the journey with um, and rally the troops behind you and, and just push forward. Um, and a great way to do that is to seek the help of, of coaches and advisors and, and uh, mentors in your life. Ryan, you obviously did get some leadership coaching. Yeah, I think any good you, leader... Do you feel that you, can, you kind of can relate to this scenario here? Uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, to your point about self-doubt or, or imposter syndrome or what have you, I mean, you don't get over it particularly, uh, and I, I think that's healthy, right? Because as a leader, uh, you're often making decisions with a fraction of the information that you need to make a good, inf uh, good call on things or, or, or make a good decision. You know, sometimes you're working with, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 percent of the data that you really need in order to, 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 to do the thing. So you should be full of self-doubt. Um, but I think the, like, the, the, the way through it is kind of twofold, right? I think there's two things. You touched on one, which is, which is you know, vulnerability, but I, I, you know, I would call it authenticity. Um, you know, hey, I, this is what we know. Uh, I, 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 we're, we're not 100% sure this is how we're going to test it, and we're going to go from there. You know, that kind of talk and that, that kind of attitude. Um, so just being really authentic on, on that front. Um, and then I think the second is, you know, you have to, uh, your team has to understand that you're committed to getting better or committed to the work that's required to get there. I mean, it could be a decision, like a simple decision, you know, tactical decision, but it also could be just something really fundamental about yourself or about your team or about your company. You're committed to getting there, right? So having this kind of mindset of, of, of always getting better, I think, is the other, the other side of it. Marsha, you've obviously had different jobs and had different positions. Did you find that along the way you didn't feel you were getting the leadership skills or the things to move on? And, and how would you, how would, what advice would you give to someone who was in that position of, oh, I can't, I'm not getting where I want to be? Mm -hmm. Well, we end up thinking a lot about that at, at the company I'm at now because, um, you know, having a really attractive employee value proposition is a key part of how you get strong people and great talent into your organization. And one of the things we know is that the people that want to come to, to work for us are people that really want to learn and want to develop and they want to have those opportunities. We're not always the best paying employer in the city, but we um, are certainly working on an, a, a really great um, initiative to sell our province to travelers around the world. Uh, but it's the, um, it's the development opportunities that young people are really looking for today. So we really invest in that and, um, and certainly in my own career along the way. Uh, some companies, you know, you're sort of thrown to the wolves and try, you have to figure it out. And then others really have very structured uh, leadership development programs. And um, candidly, I got a lot out of those over time. Just things that you never even thought about. Um, just... Um, as an example, uh, as you go up through, the, you know, up the ladder, I guess, um, you're never really as conscious of, of yourself as others are. So the higher you go, the more people pay attention to everything you do. And so for better or for worse, you are sending 
significant signals and symbols into your organization. And so unless you're really self-aware of that and doing those things in, with intention, they can really um, subvert what you're trying to accomplish because you are trying to be authentic and a natural person and all of that, but you're also being watched in a way that you have never experienced in your life. And so those are things that a leadership program will help you recognize how to be more self-aware about things you, that you're doing and the signals you're sending mm -hmm. your organization. Carmen, do you think that the leaders set the tone for the culture in the workplace? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think today when there's a lot more emphasis on the human experience, like Marsha says, you know, what do people get out of, you know, an organization? It's both ways. It's, you know, leadership does provide some direction, but it also, you know, the employee has to be inspired by what you're setting in order to make it happen. So it is, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. But it can also be the organization setting the tone. Because mm -hmm. as a leader, you're also an employee mm -hmm. of the organization. Yeah. So is that something that, um, that plays into this as well? It does. I think the organization itself has a number of values that, you know, that the employees align to. But when you're working in a really large organization like I do with mine, with 300,000 people in, you know, in many different countries around the world, your, your immediate team becomes the environment that you work in. And that's where the leadership, um, you know, whether you are, doesn't really matter what title you are in, um, that really helps set the tone. So you don't necessarily have to be the CEO of the company, but you know, being in a team or managing a smaller team in a smaller unit, that still is just as valuable. You talked about values and, 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 and working with people of the same values as you. Does that mean that they have to be the same person as you? Or do you want differences between your, your, your colleagues and your employees? Yeah, uh, it, does abs it absolutely does not mean that they have to be the same person as I am. And dear God, I hope not. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I think that you know, this is actually, it's, it was a hot topic around our office this week because we're going through this growth phase right now. And so you know, part of the question is, is how, do we, how do we protect the values that we, that we hold so strongly uh, or, or close to our hearts, but still leave room for, for growth as the company grows? Because our culture is going to evolve over time. And so we actually want to do that, and we want to have diversity, and we want to have diverse leaders. Um, and we want everybody in our company to be a leader and bring their own spin to it. Um, but what we want to make sure that we do is we protect the environment that we're creating, and we foster the, the positive values that we've already enforced or are continuing to try to enforce, and make sure that people feel safe, they feel like they have room to grow, um, and they feel like they want to defend them themselves. So, but that doesn't mean they have to be the same person as me. Right. Um, Ryan, um do you see a correlation between self-awareness and leadership, given your experience and everything you've been through? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think as a, as a leader, that's sort of, um, you know, that's the genesis of, of you know, what's going to happen on the team. If, if, if there's no self-awareness with the, with the leader, you have just a bad boss, right? Um, yeah, and I can give you an example of, of where I've been a bad boss, uh, probably take up the whole the whole hour with anecdotes, but, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an extroverted kind of person. And, uh, you know, uh, to this idea of uh, diversity on a team, you know, at Foodie, we're a, we're a tech company. So we've got sales folks, right? We've got 
got programmers. And within the teams, there's just very different personality types. You know, this is not to generalize, but by and large, our programmers are a little more introverted, right? They're dealing with complex problems, and it turns out that being, you know, having a measure of introversion is great for dealing with that kind of stuff and, and processing that. Well, in early days, you know, as an extrovert, I would just, in the middle of our open plan office, go to our developers and be like, hey, you know, how are you guys doing? You know, and you sort of get people like pulling off their headphones kind of painfully going like, what? <laughs> you know, like, and of course you just shoulder tap them and they're, they're all the way down into a really complex mathematical problem and you've just completely disrupted them, right? Uh, so uh, understanding first, you know, what your personality type is or your self-awareness back to your question is, is the first step. The second step is, is really trying to get a sense of at least your immediate team as best you can, what their personality types are like. That, that example taken forward, you know, on our leadership team at Foodie, we've got different personality styles. Uh, we have introverts, we have extroverts. And if you don't have specific strategies, you know, first to recognize who they are, but then also to, to, to figure out ways to give them airtime, for example. And there's lots of strategies around that, that specific example. but you're not going to have a cohesive team that, that is kind of aligned to goals, right? They're gonna feel like, oh, I've, got a, I've got a bad boss who doesn't understand how I work, who I am. Do you think that you're a better boss now because you've seen all these maybe bad bosses? I haven't had many bad bosses in my, in my career, I'm very fortunate to say. Um, and probably the worst one I ever had was the one that checked out that just was occupying a seat and no longer really cared about the business that we were in. And um, so that's very disengaging. Uh, but it wasn't that um, I was traumatized or anything by, by someone along the way. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I would say sure, I've, I've been a bad boss at times. Um, and probably the, the worst was the, um, the situation where um, I went into an environment with some very, very long-standing employees uh, and they had a certain way of working and it was not the work ethic that I had come to know. And uh, I just really didn't understand what a, a long and um, strategic approach I needed to take to, to affect cultural change in that kind of environment and I just kind of took it on head-on and it was really ineffective and it made many in enemies for myself among people way down in the ranks that were influential among their their peers and so it caused no end of uh, trouble for me just because I didn't take the time to really understand the environment I was coming into and how to be more strategic in, in making change and so um, you know, you learn those lessons along the way and hopefully they aren't catastrophic and in my case I was really fortunate also to be in a company that had leadership development programs for a whole, you know, a whole swath of executives and so we all went through it and we got a lot better. So, so obviously um, businesses can they have their uh, highs and lows and ups and downs and obviously when business is going well you think you're a great leader and everything's going well. But when, say, there's an economic downturn or there's, um, you know, a group of people at work, they're not doing well, their unit is not doing well, can you give us some examples of situations like that where you felt your leadership was being tested? 
<laughs> this week is a great example. <laughs> Every day, you mean? Yeah, every day. Um, yeah, so, you know, you talk about the highs and the lows. So we just had a, we just had a really big high. Um, we raised a bunch of money uh, for a company of our stage, uh, and that was super exciting. Um, and then we slowly started to realize that, that, you know, things were getting ahead of ourselves and ahead of our leadership and how we had planned for that. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's difficult. And um, it's... Uh, it's certainly, especially in times of high stress or when there's, you know, a lot of pressure being put on you as a young founder of a company um, and with, you know, res responsibilities that I feel towards the people who are believing in us, um, it's very challenging to take time to really step back and say, as a leadership team, how do we need to move forward to really progress the company, um, to really make sure that we set not only ourselves but our employees and our team up for success. Um, and uh, we did that this week. And we sat in a room for six hours and we hashed out our problems. Um, and we got probably a third of the way through. And uh, at times I was a bad leader. And at times I reflected, I said, you know, I think I did a good job leading us through that. Um, and at times I took over for the moderator and got slapped on the hand for it. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And it, it doesn't, uh, I'm sure any of these, the other people on the panel here will agree, that doesn't really change. <laughs> Ryan, can you add to that? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, leadership styles, which I think is kind of the, one of the topics, the leadership lessons. So leadership styles uh, can change sort of depending on what the situation is. Um, you know, the kind of crisis manager uh, is a bad leadership style where you're telling everybody what to do uh, if you're not in crisis. Right? Then you're just a jerk, know-it-all. Know but sometimes you are <laughs> in crisis, right? Like sometimes you're, it's just, listen, do this or like today or there's not going to be a tomorrow. You know, you do, have, you do have times like that. And then you have peacetime when things are going well. And you want to move up that leadership style ladder a bit, be more collaborative, you know? And, and um, you know, and there, there, are, there are times, hopefully, and... This is not a permanent state for me, but there's certainly been, you know, stretches where I've put on my kind of visionary leader hat, right? We do uh, all strategic planning. There's moments there where, where, where lots of the leaders in the company have that hat on. And I think, you know, having that sort of situational leadership style uh, is kind of as you get older and you grow and you've gone through, you know, crisis like Zach's, you know, going through. Uh, you go, hey, that's a hat I can, I can put on or put off, depending. Um, and I, I, you know, I hope uh, I'm kind of a student of the game, and I hope that uh, you know I get I get chances to wear wear more hats and more styles as as the situation allows. Marcia, can you continue the conversation? I'm not sure I have a whole lot more to add on that. Um, I feel like you're in, a, you're in a position where you kind of have a very public job mm. because a lot of businesses depend on you. So it's not just your organization, but it's other businesses. How would you lead through, say, an economic downturn because you're trying to put BC on the map? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, every industry faces its challenges and, and we're having a good run in tourism, so it's... Um, it's uh, been an easier ride than, than uh, sometimes uh, it has been. But uh, I think really you always just have to have a vision of where you're going. Um, people, if they have some confidence in what is coming and that you, uh, you have a plan, 
uh, generally they're, they want to be part of something positive and they want to be part of a plan and they want to understand their role in that plan. Uh, it's only when they think the leaders at the top are really lost. Uh, I think that even in a downturn um, that uh, you know, people will um, abandon ship, if you will. Um, most people can muscle their way through all kinds of challenges and uh, in fact many challenges I think actually galvanize you. Uh, many of you have probably worked in teams um, that had a killer deadline and you had to work through the night to, to get it done but those are the types of experiences that really are memorable and help you become um, more part of, of your organization and so sometimes even challenges can bring an organization together more strongly. And uh, I think it's really about making sure that you, um, you don't always have to have all the answers, but you have to have some kind of a plan that you're engaging your team in um, that has a light at the end of the tunnel. If it's all doom and gloom, I don't know why they'd hang in there with you. Carmen, you took the initiative yeah. to take on a career coach or mm -hmm. have someone advise yes. you. Do you think that there is an environment for fostering that in, in companies um, and in industries mm -hmm. to encourage people like me to become a leader or people in the audience to become a leader? Do, how do you do that and, and do we have enough of that? Certainly we do have some of these things in place, but we can certainly do a lot more in terms of fostering leadership. Uh, for example, if you're working in a large organization, it's very easy to get lost. But being able to, say, find a mentor within the firm or find a mentor outside of your company can really help set the tone and provide some guidance you know, on how, what you can do to become a leader based on you know, someone else's past experience. That's one. Um, I think another way is to be able to draw experiences from external forces. So just because you may not have a leadership title in your current role in your current company right now, that doesn't mean that you're not a leader in your community or you're not a leader within a, a group that you're volunteering in. Um, sometimes those external um, experiences can add a lot more to your career. And when it comes time to, say, having a you know, conversation with your boss on your next promotion, these things add to your story of what you can tell to put your case through to the next step of your career. It goes back to what Shalina was saying earlier, that your skills are transferable. Exactly. Okay. Um, let's talk about diversity and inclusion. How do we need to foster that in leadership? And I'll start with you. Yeah, it's so, a tough one, right? <clears throat> well, especially as a young company yeah. where, you know, you don't have that many people to, to either be diverse or, um, and you, you, at the beginning, you, it's not that you have to take what you can get, but recruiting is hard, especially with no, no budget. So we've actually, uh, by happenstance, we ended up at 50-50 gender at one point, and we had three ethnicities and six people, and um, so that was pretty cool. And I think, uh, and then if you just take that, take that piece out of it entirely, and you just look at skill sets, um, just the, the people that we have on board come from so many different likes, and whether they're, they're uh, whatever they're working in in the organization, it might actually have nothing to do with what they're trained in. Um, and one of the things that we really promoted from, from the beginning was, you've been hired for this position, but what is it that you want to be within the organization? How do we set you up for that? And how do we grow your skills, whether that be through a mentor, through an advisor, through internal um, mentorship, um, through external training, whatever it is, to continue to grow the skill set of the organization um, and include, uh, well, either grow, home grow talent or then look out elsewhere to continue to grow it. So, 
Do you want to add to that? Uh, sure. You know, we, um, I work in a, an industry that's, um, that has an imbalance, actually, and it's not an ethnic imbalance. It's a gender imbalance, and it's imbalanced in a way you wouldn't imagine. We have 75% women wow. in, in our company, and I inherited that. I'm happy to say I'm slowly whittling it down to trying to get closer to 50-50, but it's an unusual circumstance. And um, so we actually have tried hard to try to um, get more uh, gender balance in our organization. And so some of the things that we've done, um, we've done training with our managers around cognitive bias. Um, we happen to have a lot of young women hiring young women. That's a cognitive bias. We, we tend to lean toward people that are more like ourselves, right? Which is how we get the whole bias in the workplace in the first place. We have, um, uh, we, you know, try to remove names from resumes. Uh, we work very hard to make our organization um, um, an attractive place for people with diverse abilities, whether they're cognitive or sen um, sensory or uh, mobility related. Um, so there's so many barriers for people that might have mobility challenges to even just getting to an interview. So uh, we try to remove all of those things, and, but it's an ongoing process for sure. And, it, and change doesn't happen all that quickly. Um, uh, especially if you have low turnover. So it's very hard to transform your organization over time, but we're whittling away, chipping away at it. Okay, well, this is a question for all of you, um, and I'm going to start with you, Ryan. What are some misconceptions about leadership that you would like to debunk? Uh, for example, in my yeah. office, I know that some people think a leader should always be gregarious and always be outgoing. And I know you are, and I'm not uh, suggesting that you shouldn't be. I am, really? That's <laughs> so flattering. But sometimes I find the most silent people in our office are, have the best ideas and, are, and can quietly say, look, this is what we should be doing. And all of a sudden, it's just so calm, it's great, and things move so smoothly. So I'm thinking along yeah. those lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think probably the biggest misconception that that I've learned or that I've, I feel should be debunked is that, um, you know, people are born leaders, right? You know that, we all know that expression. And at the top of the hour, I think you touched on, uh, you know, can you, can you put in the work and develop it? And, you know, I think one of the most important uh, aspects of leadership that, that uh, you know, actually my, my partner, uh, Barb, sort of introduced me to, I think, and, and, uh, and really lives, is, is having this growth mindset. And uh, so if you read the book Mindset, uh, you know, it makes a good case for even basic things that we take for granted, like intelligence is not a fixed asset, right? Like you get smarter. Uh, and so, so I, I think that we have to start by saying that, you know, all of us might be somewhere on this scale around uh, how great of a, a leader we are today, but we should all realize that that doesn't mean that there's a limit to where you can get on that scale over time. If you have that, you have that mindset. I've certainly learned that from my, my partner and, and, uh, and, and feel, you know, better, better for it. Carmen, what are the misconceptions of leadership from your point of view? Oh, from my point of view, I think 
people seem to think that leadership is always hierarchical, and that's not always the case. Um, you know, in the in the new model that we talked about, called you know, diverse a diverse leadership, is that how do you put the team together to make the team look good and to make the team do good and inspire the team to do great things? And I think that's it's much more of a circular, more collaborative process than a linear process in leadership. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I just want to continue on that actually. So one thing, um, and, and frankly I was just thinking through it today about how to uh, better promote it inside of our, our organization is um, leadership doesn't have to come from the top. Mm -hmm. So any, anybody can be a leader. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't feel that they have the permission to, uh, uh, and it could be the opportunity and perhaps that's something I need to reflect on. Um, but how do we create opportunity for anybody inside the organization to become leaders? So how do we present, whether that be uh, an individual project, um, a committee, whatever it is, something uh, to, to allow people who may not otherwise have the opportunity or feel that they have the authority um, to lead the team in some way, capacity or shape, form, whatever it might be, and grow those skills so that they can potentially be the leaders, uh, the leaders that they see you know, in the organization today, but they can be them tomorrow. Um, just on the question of um, misconceptions, I think one of the key ones I think most people perhaps believe is that the leaders have the answers. Yeah. And I think the best leaders actually have really good questions. And that's where, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, uh, a really good leader of a team knows how to draw the best out of everyone in the room and is almost um, doing the job you're doing tonight, Robin, which is facilitating a discussion with good questions. And, um, and I think that's how you'll get to the best answers, uh, but they're not necessarily certainly ever going to, all the best answers come from the CEO, there's, there's no question. Um, I did want to just follow up a bit because we, we've talked a lot about leadership development and I'd hate to leave this room with the impression that somehow someone is going to create a leadership plan for you and teach you how to be a leader mm -hmm. and grow your career on your behalf because I hate to disillusion you, but nobody cares about you that much. <laughs> they really, She's you, right. You have, to, you have to have your own plan. You have to put your hand up for interesting, challenging, impossible projects, things that will create profile for you. Like, it's up to you to invest in yourself, to put your hand up when the opportunity is there, and, and to take advantage of leadership programs if they're available in your company. They're not always available. So um, I just don't want to create the feeling here that somehow someone's going to spoon feed you the leadership medicine and it's all going to work out. So, <laughs> I anyway. love it. That's great. That's so great. Now we're going to take your questions, and this was based on how popular they were. Um, the first question, what do you think about the future of remote working and leading a remote team? Ryan? Yeah, well, uh, that's great. I, I actually have a lot of thoughts on this because uh, we, we moved uh, to, uh, so first of all, at Foodie, uh, you know, which, uh, you know, people have, have checked it out, essentially uh, software for corporate catering. Uh, but we're in uh, 10 markets in the U.S. We're in Toronto and Vancouver and Canada. 
Um, so we have folks all over the place. And so a lot of our systems, you know, are set up to allow for this remote work anyway. So in some cases, there's one person in one of these cities works remotely. But we made the decision a year ago to allow folks in the HQs to be able to work from home on Tuesdays and Thursdays, okay? So uh, it's been an experiment over the course of the year, uh, course of the last year. Um, I think the thing that, so I'm, I'm, you know, as you said on the way in, I'm kind of old school uh, in the sense that uh, I came up in finance and investment banking where it's all about FaceTime, right? You're, you're sitting around at your desk all day, you know, trying to be, be in present or whatever, and then your boss dumps a bunch of work on your desk and then leaves at 7 p.m. and you're there till, till 2 in the morning. Uh, so I always had this thing that, like, being there meant working. Uh, I think the cool thing about uh, remote work for us has been when you strip away FaceTime, and the, that is the illusion of, of getting work done, when you strip that away, it's kind of like taking away, a, uh, you know, your senses, one of your senses, right? You rely on other things. And the things that, you know, we are focused on are results. We're, we're focused on, on who's getting the job done. And it allows you to do that a lot more. Um, you know, I think there's also an implicit trust that happens. Um, you know, I, I know that on days when I work from home, I get a lot more done. You know, I'm, I'm very focused, I'm very present for the calls, uh, you know, the video calls that I'm, I'm, I'm having and so forth. So I think that it's gonna, it's gonna be a trend that we continue to see. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised in, you know, 24 months if we're completely remote. Uh, one of the, the best examples of that is a company called Automatic, and, and most of us will know uh, WordPress, which is one of Automatic's biggest uh, products, 100% remote. So all the money that they save on offices and all that stuff, uh, they put into these like epic, like once a year retreats where they all get together, uh, you know, in little pocket retreats where you get out and really spend some quality time together instead of that, that FaceTime, which is, you know, it's... I Slam, think you right? want to add to this, Carmen, because you I keep do. looking at me. <laughs> I do. It's because I've actually worked uh, remotely for the last 18 years of my career, having worked with a management consulting company. Um, I think, like Ryan said, when you're not having FaceTime, you're really much more focused on, A, the results, but B, the communication with your team, because, you know, that's, that's how you, you connect with your team. So, you know, leadership in a virtual team may mean, you know, um, relying on technology to, to be more connected or making the time to be physically present at, you know, once a year, once a quarter to be there. But uh, there's also the uh, underlying factor that, you know, trust, you know, if there's something wrong, you know that you can always rely on someone on your team with a, with a phone call. So, so yes, the virtual teams are, are difficult, to, uh, to comprehend at first, but um, some of the most successful teams when you talk about you know, management consultants are mostly virtual. For sure. Yeah. Um, for all the panelists, what's the biggest challenge that you had to overcome that turned into your biggest win? Zach. 
we come to me first. Yeah. Um, biggest, it's what keeps you up at night. Yeah, biggest, yeah. There's a joke there we're not going to yeah. tell. <laughs> Thank you for that, Scott. Um, so the biggest challenge that I had to overcome that became my greatest asset. Well, so, okay, so I'll, I'll talk about the uh, um, imposter syndrome here. So when I started our company, I was 22 years old. And um, I, I felt uh, that that was a big challenge for me. And I felt, you know, who the hell, can I say that? Yeah, who the hell am I sitting up here um, telling people, you know, my opinions on things. Um, and uh, come full circle to about uh, a month ago, I saw a, uh, um, I saw a podcast of one of our investors. And uh, he's talking about, he's a well-known CEO, uh, and he's talking about um, companies that he's invested in and his view of, of what a good CEO is. And uh, he, funny enough, starts talking about us. And he says, you know, I, like, I love to invest in young founders. I love to invest in young founders. Typically, they're solving a problem that's uh, something that they're passionate about, something that affects them. And uh, I just had this moment of realization where I said, you know, this thing that held me back, and it only held me back, it was only my own perspective, that, you know, who am I to be doing this, um, was actually something that this person that I look up to and admire um, actually loved about me. And uh, I, I, made, I created this obstacle for myself um, that really wasn't one at all. Uh, and it certainly is in some circumstances, and I won't downplay that. There are people that look at me like, oh, are you going to go get a real job anytime soon? Um, and... Uh, yeah, but it's just, it's not, it's not really an issue, so. Marsha? You know, probably the biggest challenge I've had to face um, wasn't so much one of leadership, but it, it is probably a choice many people in this room may find they have to make at some point. And I was um, approaching 40, I guess. I had three young kids at home. Uh, I was working in an ad agency. The hours were killer. And um, I was a senior VP there and still rising in the ranks and it was great and making lots of money. And, um, and I just felt I was a disaster on the home front. And um, I have my daughter in, in the room today, so I'm going to get all choked up. <laughs> um, and I just, I had to choose. And for me, not everybody has the luxury of choosing, but I had the luxury of that. And um, so I chose to stay home for five years. And uh, I worried that I might never be able to restart my career, that I was going to take a huge backseat to all my counterparts, that it wouldn't be rewarding for me to be at home. Uh, none of those things was true. And yeah, I had to take a bit of a step backward when I re-entered the workforce, but I kept my skills up by doing some consulting on the side and whatnot, and, and it all turned out well. But, um, you know, for me, that was the biggest challenge I had to face was just choosing between the family you love and a, and a career you love uh, and not being able to do a um, good job really of either un unless you made a choice. And um, so anyway, uh, for those of you who think it, you might have to make that choice sometimes, good things can still happen. Carmen? Wow. Um, that's a little loaded. Um, question. <laughs> uh, no. I think the, the hardest part for me um, was making a decision between staying in a job that you're comfortable with 
but you're not necessarily the most happy with, and making a decision that is the unknown but could bring a lot of possibilities. So um, an example in my career was that um, I started off with Deloitte, um, you know, when I got out of school, and I spent my first 10 years there. I was rising through the ranks um, as a manager, but similar to Marsha, I wasn't happy with the hours, I wasn't really happy with the organization, and at that point, I had to make a decision as to whether I should stay and accept the promotion or leave, uh, leave the uh, company to pursue another opportunity. So I chose the latter. I left the firm and I spent four years with a number of different organizations and not-for-profit and different sectors. I felt that was really enriching to my career and I think the reason why I'm back at Deloitte was because they really appreciated that part that I took the risk to, uh, to explore what's out there before coming back and adding that experience to my current role. Sometimes you have to go away to come back home. Exactly. Ryan. Uh, losing my hair? No, <laughs> yeah, you know, comedy is about yeah, risk. You gotta take risks sometimes, that. like, go out on a limb. Um, no, I'd say, so we're talking about this challenge, right? Turning your challenge and... Uh, oh, into a, a right, an opportunity. Uh, okay, well, I mean, for sure, from a career standpoint, uh, and this, I think, applies to leadership. It's, it's, an, it's kind of an entrepreneurship uh, moment, uh, I think. Uh, I had the company, you know, that I started before Taco Fino, I had to close. And uh, I had, you know, self-funded it. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it was, like... Financially, uh, you know, devastating for, for uh, you know, uh, yeah, for an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, I remember we, we, we closed everything down. I made sure everybody was paid. Sold every asset we had. And uh, I remember cutting the last checks in the same month that my, my first son was born. And... Uh, and so, you know, that was, you know, early 30s, washed up investment banker, no prospects. And uh, that, that was a hard, that's a hard time. And I think why this applies to leadership is that uh, you're going to have the same experience at some point as a leader of a, of a business unit that's going to just not hit its targets. It's going to get disbanded, that you're going to, you know, fired, whatever the circumstances. This example for me was real career crisis of like, hey, maybe I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. Uh, maybe I'm not cut out to be a leader. Um, you, really, you really do go down into that, the, the depths. And, uh, you know, I remember my, my wife uh, sending me all these articles of, you know, uh, entrepreneurs that had lost everything and, you know, conversations around Everybody in the valley has a story of, of, of losing it all, you know, some of them several times before they figured it out. And at the time, you can't hear it, right? At the time, you're just like, ah. But, you know, bless her heart, she kept picking me off the couch and, and, uh, and, and pushing me forward. And I had made this, this like, small investment in Taco Fino. And uh, it was just a food truck. My partner is a, a great chef, uh, Tofino, an old surfer. And, uh, you know, I just said, yeah, you know what, to hell with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back on the horse and uh, started from scratch. So, you know, uh, I wanted to jump in and learn absolutely everything. I mean, one of the mistakes I had made was around not having domain expertise in my prior business. I wanted to learn everything there was 
to know. Who's eaten at any Taco Fino's here, just by a show of hands? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to learn uh, everything there was to know about making the perfect fish taco. Uh, so, you know, I fried fish. If you went to the trucks in the early days, I probably gave you change back. I worked the cash register on the truck. You know, I changed the oil in the fryer and the oil in the truck on the same day. Um, in any case, what happens is all those things that you learn from your failure, from your challenge, come flooding back to you, right? Oh, man. Because when you fail, you've got a ton of time to stew over, oh, how did this go wrong? Why did this go wrong? With success, you're just like, oh, I'm successful. You know, it's because I'm always making the right calls, and I, you don't think about it. With failure, you just stew over it. And so it all started coming back out, and, and uh, I think that that was a sort of turning point in my career in general, starting to build on all these lessons and making sure that if you're going to pay full price and it's an expensive, expensive cost when you're an entrepreneur, if you're going to pay full price, you better get some value out of it. You've all alluded to this next question, and it, uh, it's the number one question right now. How do you know when you got to quit what you're doing? I think you had that moment where it was you, your family, and your career. Yeah. But was there any other you know what? moments we, that you went, I gotta get out of here? Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's when you wake up in the morning and you don't look forward to going to work. You know, I, I mean, I've always been really fortunate, and um, I've been with single companies for long spans of time, but I've always had uh, multiple jobs within those companies. And um, it was because I always tried to pursue things that interested me. And so um, I had great bosses that would allow me to try new things or take on a job. And, and um, you know, I've always said, man, if you, unless you're doing brain surgery, just fake it till you make it. Because <laughs> everybody is afraid and they think they don't know the answers and I don't have the perfect plan for how to do that thing. But, um, if it looks interesting, you're going to figure it out. Most of you got through university, I imagine, and so you're pretty smart people, and you're going to figure it out. So grab on to things that come your way, um, and, and your career will always be interesting, and you'll wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I'm excited to go and work on that again. And um, it's, I, I think, you know, sometimes it's a matter of choice. You can still be loving what you're doing, but you love something else more. Um, but, um, and maybe you'll be given a career opportunity like, uh, like I was one day. I got a headhunter's call about this role that I'm, I'm in now and I, I almost didn't come to an interview. Don't, Shalina, you shouldn't know that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, right because I thought, oh no, why would I do that? I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I've got this great portfolio and, and it was my husband said, don't say no right away. Just, you know, think about it overnight and you can, it's not disloyal to just go have that first conversation and learn about the role, which I did and went, oh my God, that would be an amazing job. And so then I got excited about something else and that's all I'd say is, you know, long way of saying, pursue what interests you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I, I, I did a whole degree in mechanical engineering um, and don't touch that anymore. Um, <laughs> not that I don't miss it. Um, I see our, our engineering team on, on one side of the room and I'm just like, 
what are you doing over there? Um, but uh, no, I think I, I kind of had this realization. It was about as a four-year program. I had it about the end of year three. I said, well, I don't like this anymore. And it's the same thing, you know, that people ask me. Sometimes people will come up to me and they say, oh, my God, you've had so much success. I'm like, what are you talking about? I haven't done anything yet. Um, but my definition of success is waking up uh, wanting to do what you have to do. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think that, that if anyone gets to that point in their life, um, uh, that's, all, that's all I can ask for. And uh, I think that if you're not in that place and you're not feeling like, you know, you wake up wanting to go to work or I didn't wake up wanting to design products anymore, um, well, it's up to you to take the next step and say, okay, maybe it's time to move on from this, um, whether it's safe or not. And uh, that's, that can be scary. And, uh, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I, at one point I thought, well, I'll, I'll try med school because maybe I want to help people. Um, but uh, by, by trying something, by trying anything, I, I took a course in entrepreneurship and I fell in love. And uh, here we are, you know, a few years later. And um, I'm just so thankful that I, I uh, took the opportunity to stop what I was doing. And I did finish the degree, but, but uh, stop what I was doing and, and find a new path for myself. Carmen, you also alluded to this. Yeah, um, a colleague first told me when I first started my job was, when you stop having fun at your job, I think it's time to walk out. But I think behind that, um, for someone who's worked remotely, I actually really love having a team. Uh, so I think people really make or break your experience um, at your job. You know, they inspire you to do great things, whether, you know, they're your peers or they're your, you know, um, they're your mentors or, you know, there are people that, you're, that, that look up to you. Um, I think that synergy is really the key to whether or not you love your job because these are people you work with every day. For sure. Uh, that leads us to the next question, and Ryan, I'll, I'll throw this at you. How do you develop leaders on your teams? You have so many yeah. companies and they're all right. very different too. Yeah, so that coaching, you know, mentorship uh, thing that we sort of started with is I have, uh, you know, I, I can speak more authoritatively as a student, uh, but it's definitely a two-way a, a two-way street, right? So um, you know that kind of concept in in peer tutoring with with kids, where the the one who's doing the teaching actually will the the, the gap will become far further away than you know. Because you don't really, I don't think, get a chance to ingest things or fully own things until you have to kind of explain it back to somebody or do the coaching on that, on that yourself. Um, so, you know, the, the trick with, I think, startup or, you know, your own business, which is kind of what I can speak from, is that you, you have a a bunch of folks uh, that, that are on your team that are kind of at different levels in different altitudes and um, I think that's that's probably the biggest challenge uh, with with our job is uh, you know uh, you you may have uh, folks on your team that have more professional training than than you have as a leader uh, and so trying to tailor I think your your coaching uh, figuring out where they're at and sort of where you've been on, on, on your own journey and going back to those moments um, and, and being able to pay that, pay that forward is, 
you know, that's the, that's the kind of the way to do it, I think. The next question is directed at Marsha. Uh, what are some leadership programs you recommend? Are there some? Ooh. Uh, I've taken a number over the years, um, one that I don't even know if it still exists, but I found it very valuable was um, offered by Bluepoint. Um, another one, I actually went to Harvard for a week and did uh, leading change and organizational renewal. That was very heady, um, and, uh, and, but I was fortunate my, my company sent me to that, and that was really valuable because um, uh, that ended up being just a, such a useful set of skills to, to have in so many parts of my career. Um, so those are two uh, that I would uh, recommend. We have, um, we have an organization that works with our um, company and um, unfortunately I can't remember their name at the moment. And, but if anyone wants to email me, I'll, I'll have it figured out by tomorrow. Um, but we do have them come in and talk to our managers, and um, we really focus on three things in that. One is um, actual how you get work done in teams, project planning, strategic planning, uh, and then coaching for performance um, and how to be more of a leader on the culture side. So um, those are elements of our training and development program. Um, Zach, is there a book or a podcast that had a deep impact on your idea of leadership? <laughs> Did you read a book? Um, <laughs> no, uh, I have this uh, birth defect where my eyes don't focus. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the muscles behind my eyes, so I don't read. Um, yeah, so there's the twist. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to read three right now. I, <clears throat> um, so uh, and and you know I haven't gotten into podcasting. <laughs> That's okay. um, That's I, okay. uh, I I'm a big believer in uh, learning by by doing. Uh, and so I, I surround myself with, with uh, mentors and advisors, and I like to, I like to learn through practice. Um, that being said, we have a stack of about 20 books, um, 20 books in our office that I, I am trying to get through. <laughs> um, Carmen, but yeah. is there a book or a, a point of reference for you? Yeah, uh, there's one book that I've read many years ago that I keep, I keep on my bookshelf to, even today. It's called Never Eat Alone. Uh, by Ken Ferrazzi. It's, um, it's kind of a roadmap to how you uh, build your own path to becoming a leader uh, through opportunities that you seek, whether it's within your network or within your community. Uh, yeah, so that's the book that I've always had. Um, one more question, but it's not updating the Wi-Fi. Um... In this age of social media, how do you vibrate faster and reach the most people as possible? You must use uh, social media for Destination BC. My company is extremely active in social media, and I am not. Um, it's a, social, I find, is a very good way for a Crown CEO to get fired. And so I've kind of avoided it at a corporate level. Um, not that I don't trust myself, but it's just amazing the things that can happen. So uh, I avoid it uh, on a personal level, but at a corporate level, um, I'm sure my corporate team will tweet about tonight's event and the fact that I was here and stuff like that. But um, uh, you know, for us um, in, in travel in particular, there's nothing more powerful than a recommendation from friends, family, or colleagues. And so social is word of mouth on steroids, and those recommendations are really powerful for us. 
and we're an active user of social, um, even as a communication tool within our industry at a B2B level. So, um, yeah, I, I, um, I'm not very active, I'm afraid. I follow a lot of people, but I don't post myself. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I, I know that uh, we have a reception coming up, but I wanted to get you to all answer one question as a, as a takeaway for the audience. Um, if you could do it in a minute or less, what is the most important takeaway that you'd like the audience to leave with tonight? Um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty heavy question, so um, I'm going to start with you. 60 seconds on the clock. Uh, okay, well, I think, you know, for all of us, we're here because we're interested in some level in leadership, whether it's your own company, uh, you just want to develop it, you want a promotion into a leadership role. Uh, you know, my message to everybody is that leadership is one of the most compelling things uh, you can develop in your career. Uh, for me personally, uh, it's, it's really intimately linked with the kind of person I am and show up with, show up as uh, in other parts of my life. Uh, so that know, your, know thyself, you know, know others, empathy, all these things that you learn as a leader I mean, these show up, hopefully, uh, in my, my most important relationships in my personal life, being a better husband, for sure, and a better father, uh, being a better brother. Uh, you know, if you, can, if you can link those two, and, I, and there's a great book called The Three Marriages that talks about the relationship between self and work and personal life. Um, you know, all of those things can be strengthened by, by the work that you do here. And I think it's unlike any other profession. You know, just because you become a better lawyer doesn't make you a better husband, better wife. Um, so, so take that away and think about it because whatever uh, you're, you're why ever you're here and thinking about it, the work is meaningful in other parts of your life. Harmon. Hmm. I think be kind to yourself is a huge thing when it comes to leadership. Oftentimes we tend to fall into a, um, a, a mold or expectations of what is you know, expected of a leader, but I think it's, leadership is very personalized. It's something that you need to own and uh, carve your way through life and work at it. So I think be kind to yourself is probably the first step. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, so I think, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about this before, before the event tonight, and um, obviously there's, there's a place, a time and place for a plan. Um, but especially, you know, if you, if it's been said in different ways uh, tonight, but creating an opportunity for yourself and taking those opportunities when they present themselves. I have a story that I could share. I can't share in 60 seconds. Um, I, I might be able to squeeze it in, but it doesn't have the same impact. Um, but I, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for making my own uh, opportunity and taking them when it presents itself. And, you know, there's, there's that expression, when one door closes, another one opens. Um, and I actually think the expression's unfinished. Um, I think that the key piece that's missing is that you have to make a conscious decision to walk through the second door once it opens. Um, and that can be said for any role, whether you want to be a leader or not. Um, but just because an opportunity presents itself does not mean that it's yours. You have to make a conscious choice to take that opportunity and, and do something with it. Marsha, I'd like to give you the last word. I, I guess I'd just build a bit on what Zach's talking about, which is um, 
leadership or careers are really, um, it's a collection of things that you learn along the way. And I, I find, particularly with young people, they somehow view their career, uh, and I've said this many times to my own kids, it, your career is likely not going to look like a ladder where there's all these very predictable sequential steps up to the top. It's more likely to look like a lattice where you've kind of moved back and forth and grown like a vine across all of these different elements and you've collected things along the way that someday prove to be incredibly valuable when, when that um, next challenge comes along or that opportunity that you've always wanted presents itself. And by just pursuing the things that interest you on that lattice, I think you'll be more successful than by trying to plan out every last detail of your rise to the top. Because plans always go awry, right? <laughs> you know, you've all been really insightful, and I have to tell you that I have personally taken away a lot from this, and I, I'm trying to, I'm going to go back and, and listen to the podcast because I'm not taking notes right now, but I personally learned a lot from this, and I hope that I take it back into my workplace, and I hope that you will too, and I'm going to pass things back to Shalina now. Um, I'm kind of speechless, which is not usual for me to do because I just, I think today's conversation has given us a ton to think about. I think we heard a lot about courage and the other thing that I reflect on is just how much humility there is up on the stage. So I, I, I hope that everybody can take away something from tonight. I think there was a ton to learn from. And I still believe, and I think you heard it today from everyone on the panel, is that we can learn to be leaders. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. We can develop this. We can, it's, a, it's, it's a continuous area of, of growth for all of us. So I really want to thank all of you. I also want to thank Robin for being an outstanding moderator. So wonderful. Thank you so much for that. I encourage you to keep this conversation going at the reception and far beyond this room tonight. Challenge yourself to meet three new people. Introduce yourself, add each other on LinkedIn, and share one point that resonated with you, with you this evening. I'll do another quick thank you to our sponsors, Manulife, BMO, Alumni, UBC, MasterCard, and TD Insurance for their tremendous support. Thank you again to our incredible speakers. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for choosing to be here with us tonight's discussion.